So welcome to Spirit Seekers. My name is Lucy Samara, and I serve uh, First Congregational Church as Communications Coordinator. And I'm pleased to be your Spirit Seekers host today and to introduce you to Kay Ryder, who you may already know, or who you may uh, be meeting for the first time, or a new. Uh, Spirit Seekers is uh, designed to be a forum for people to share uh, life stories and highlights of their faith journeys. And uh, the goal is for us to build uh, community and connections and to support uh, all of us in our faith journeys as we grow in faith. Uh, Judy, you're going hi. to want, hi, you're going to want to mute yourself. Marcia, can you help me mute myself? There's nothing there. Thank you. All right. Uh, Is it muted? I don't. Am know. I muted? Um, no. So just be be quiet. <laughs> don't whisper. Don't talk. Just listen, and it'll all will be well. I promise you. All right, friends. So Kay Ryder is our special guest today. Uh, you may know Kay for her long career with the VNA in communications. Uh, you might know her as the long-term host of Conversations with Kay, a local television program where she has highlighted many wonderful people and uh, programs, agencies uh, in, in our area. Or you might know her as an active member of our, our congregation, First Congregational Church of Burlington or our choir, where she has been active for many, many years. And, uh, you know, it's such a, it's really a privilege to welcome you in this kind of setting, Kay, to tell us about yourself. And um, I want to start by asking you to um, talk to us about your earliest memories of having a sense of faith or belief. When you think back on your life, where, where, did, where did that start for you? I lived in uh, Cortland, New York when I was very tiny. And I had a wonderful, wonderful, you know, little teacher who was telling me about all about the Bible and Jesus and how to be a, a good person. And I think that's where I really started. She was, she was a marvelous Sunday school teacher. That'll give hope to, to uh, church school volunteers everywhere. <laughs> was there something about her in particular that was appealing to you? Um, she was, she was always smiling. And if somebody was making noise, she didn't pay any attention to that. She just mm -hmm. kept going on. She treated us like we were, we were kids. Mm -hmm. Great. She wasn't treating us like adults, you know, we were little kids and we were yeah. supposed to be there to have a good time yeah. and enjoy being there so with she, each other she, and with her. She brought the joy. Mm -hmm. She brought the joy she was talking about into the setting. Um, you mentioned um, when we when we talked ahead of time about a memory that you had uh, with your grandmother from when you were young. Yes, as my grandmother was German, she had come from Russia, but on Christmas Eve, always, my grandmother and I sang Silent Night in German, and I have continued to do that throughout my life. The first verse of Silent Night in the church, at the candlelight service, or wherever I am, I sing, I sing in German for, for the first verse, Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht. Nice. 
Nice. That, that, that feeling of Christmas Eve that I think so many of us enjoy and people really seek out, it's, it, it has a really kind of a mystical feel, doesn't it? Yes, it does. When all the candles go on, everybody <laughs> looks holy, if you will. <laughs> I mean, you look in a different light. You see people in a different light. Mm -hmm. And everybody, every, everybody, you can just tell it, everybody is having secret and wonderful thoughts. Yeah, they're really positive. Donna, you have to, uh, you need to, there's echoing okay. because of your phone. Thank you. So wonderful, uh, Kay, I, lo I love those memories. And I, being a grandmother myself now, just that idea that of that connection and uh, you know, feeling that spiritual connection, remembering back to that is really a, is really a lovely idea. As you um, you know got older and had more life experiences, has your faith been challenged? Oh yes, I think every everybody's faith gets challenged, um, particularly if you're a Protestant. I think you I think you you think about the world and you know, how, how it existed, how it started, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, my face was challenged when I was about eight or nine years old, my dog died. And my dog had been hit by a car and I, I cried and I cried and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God did not listen to me. Uh, and I gave up at God for a long time, several months. And then I decided, well, you know, with everything that was going on, probably God had better things to do than worry about me and my dog. And I just have to remember my dog, Butch. That was, that was the first time my faith was challenged. The second time was uh, one of our daughters was born, she almost died. And I remember standing, looking down at her in the hospital and watching her try desperately to breathe and thinking, you know, God, don't desert, don't desert us now, you know, please. Please don't, because she's so little. She deserves a chance for life, and uh, and and she was spared. And I, I was, you know, that was that was another moment. Another moment was uh, when I, I had breast cancer, and I was going into to have the operation to have my breast removed, and I Richard had come to say goodbye to me, you know, and ha ha, you know, love you and all that stuff. And uh, you'll still be beautiful, Kay, and all that. And uh, <laughs> so uh, just before I went under, my last thought, and I distinctly have always remembered that, is I am not alone. Mm -hmm. And that, that for me was a, was, a, was a very huge moment in my life. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter also had cancer. And I have prayed and prayed, and members of the choir have prayed and prayed. And I have always felt that that boosted Allison and helped her get through. Mm -hmm. I've always felt that, you know, bad things happen to good people. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But you can pray for people to endure mm -hmm. and, you know, take upon themselves what has been given to them and that make it as possible as possible as you can. You know, that's all you can do. You know, with all of our rationality and, um, you know, scientific knowledge, 
and all of that, there's still that, that something with prayer. You cannot define it, but it is as you're describing it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it adds a dimension to life. It adds a meaning to life. It, you, can't, you can't get it out of a scientific book and you can't really get it out of anything else that you read or you taste or you touch or whatever. But you can, it, it, it adds a dimension to your life. And it adds a dimension to your life in many ways. After I had my cancer uh, uh, surgery, um, Bob Lee, who was our new president, and I had headed the search committee for him. It was his first Sunday at the church. And he and his wife, Donna, and Jean and David Andrews came down to Dartmouth-Hitchcock to, to uh, see how I was getting along. And I always thought that, you know, there was something involved with that. God was involved with that. They didn't come to see me just as a, as a you know, hay rider, and here I am, you know, a parishioner. They came to see me because, you know, we were connected. Mm -hmm. And we would stay connected. And so that was something had to do with prayer and God, too, I think. Yeah, I think that's just a, a wonderful and story. And I have prayed many times. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's, it's a... It's a wonderful story because you know my first thought, the first thought was I when I got cancer was you know huh I just hired a minister and now I have cancer isn't that great you know, <laughs> you know mm -hmm. this is not right this doesn't seem right to me however you know you uh, you get 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 over them those thoughts easily quite easily anyway and you carry on and when they came I felt that a piece of God had brought them there that day. Well, I so you know really there are a lot of places that. in life, and and now I'm and I'm. We're having a little. Oh well, thank you. I I, um, okay. I. Yeah, my husband just walked through the room, and now now he's doing stuff in the room, and I I think that's why he's leaving. And uh, <laughs> anyway. No that he, you might want if he has a smartphone he might want to shut it off and that might help keep any no, interference no, in the signal no, down no, at any rate um that i love that story of uh bob coming down to see you here he is brand new minister and you having chaired the uh, search committee and i know you what i don't know what I, I think we missed a little bit of what you just said but yesterday i just thought it was so great that you know he said to you well it didn't seem quite right without you there, you know, that he had <laughs> yeah. to be there. Right, so he right. It didn't seem, he, he had counted on me that I would be there when he gave his first sermon, etc. Uh, but, you know, as I think back at that time, uh, it was more meaningful to have him and Donna and Jean and, and David Andrews come to, to, to my bed, my, my, my bed at the hospital when I was kind of down if you want to put it that way yeah that was more meaningful probably than listening to a sermon <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned yesterday um as you were a younger child um developing a prayer life that your dad had been in uh the navy in world war ii yes yes my father was in the navy in world war ii 
and uh, I had this big map on my wall and things were not very good in, in World War II in the beginning. And my father's whole family was in the British Isles. And so my aunt was sleeping down in the tubes and, and people were being bombed. And it, it, was a very, it was a very bad time. And I remember, I remember, you know, thinking, you know, how can, how can God let all these awful things happen? And praying. And, and I, after the war, I went to a Methodist camp. And there was a woman there who had been in a concentration camp mm. in the Far East. And she was talking about that and how they ate eggshells to get nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. And, but she had something about her that I could, I, I could sense that she was actually, she had forgiven. Whatever happened to her, she was a big enough person to forgive. And I lived in a little town and, and during the war, we, we knew the people who had been killed. And it was very hard to forgive. I was half German, <laughs> you know, that, that complicated things even more. It mm -hmm. makes life, it makes life uh, a, a question. And you, uh, you, you have to really think about what you believe and how you believe and what, what, what would you do? These are big questions and I, I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And you know, but I always, I always thought about that. And and as I grew grew older, I decided that uh, me and my friends, we used to talk about it. And I decided that we were pretty smart in some ways, because we always ended up. We'd say, "Well, God will help us." Mm -hmm. I had a couple of friends come. God will help us, and I always found that comforting. Yeah, I, I mean, when you think about the time that you grew up in with all the men away at war, that's when some roles for women who had some privilege started to shift, right? I mean, it, there's some change happening there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Women were going to work at General Electric, um, uh, where, where men had been. Women were involved in the war effort. Uh, my mother was working... My, my father was gone. I, I saw my father just a few times. Women were, women were beginning to step up. But then after the war, they stepped back. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't quite, they stepped back pretty fast. And I couldn't quite rationalize that in my mind. I thought, gee, these women were smart, you know, they could do things. And uh, my mother and father had encouraged me to go to college and get on education and do all this stuff. And so, you know, my generation, we call it, they call us the, the silent generation, the 50s. But you know, for women, and me and my friends, there was a cusp there. Mm -hmm. My friends and I were going to go out and go to work and do something. We were not just going to stay home. My friends in college, and, and, and it turned out that way. My college friends, we, we went to work and we did things. Not, a, not as much as the, the women have done now and since the 50s, but definitely stepping up to the plate. And I love it. 
Well, I, I met you in the late 70s. I was a staff member for the Girl Scout Council at the time, and Kay and I met at United Way meetings, and you caught my attention right away as somebody who was smart and spoke her mind and, and spoke up. I, I wrote a little email to people today inviting them, and I said, and she's surprising. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I, I like that self-confidence that you bring to the world. Um, and, uh, you know, just compliments to you for that. How, how did you professionally, <laughs> you're welcome. How did you professionally end up in communications? How was, how was that, that that developed as your work? Well, actually I had two careers. I went to college and I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry. And I worked in chemistry for the for-profit world. And then when we came to Vermont, when Richard was a resident, uh, I went, I was on the, uh, on the board of the Visiting Nurse Association, and that was a long time ago. And then I got involved in other organizations. And at one time I was working on DI water project down at IBM and stuff like that. But I, I had taken that step, if you will, to community service. And I wanted a job or I could do something for the community. So I was the first public relations director of the Visiting Nurse Association. And I love that. I love, uh, I love, loves telling the stories about the nurses and the physical therapists and the, all the caregivers and how wonderful they were and how they helped people in their homes. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, everything, everything that I did in my, in my, uh, my, my life, uh, I was a volunteer. I've, I've always been interested in the in the community and how it could help the community. My TV show, I had nonprofits, strictly nonprofits. I've had you on it, Lucy. You did. Uh, I yes, appreciate I it. had you on there, for <laughs> and I had Michael on there for the St. Michael's College, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and I could name a lot of other people, but you know, I uh, I I always thought in terms of uh, groups like Feeding Chittenden. Mm -hmm. And people uh, uh, needs the real needs that were out there, and how they were how the how people were being hurt and how they were being affected by the world in Burlington. And I take this opportunity to thank the people of our church. I think our church has done a tremendous job helping people in the community. And I don't think that the city of Burlington could get along well without our church. So I I just have to say that. That comes from a perspective of someone who has volunteered and worked out in the community. Talk a little bit about your program, the TV program, and how that's connected to your faith expression, Kay. Well, well they're all nonprofit groups. Mm -hmm. And I really think about the questions I ask people. And I think that, um, you know, you have to let people know the questions you're going to ask, but let them know right before time, because if the politicians will give you a speech. So, but I found it's good to have people have an idea of what you are after and what their group is really accomplishing and what they really do. And what this does, if you ask them the questions, way back here someplace, there's a great thought and they will bring that out in the show mm -hmm. and that 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 is what happens and that has happened with governors and with, with ceos and with lots of uh people i have interviewed people in the arts i mean there's something back there that you know that that they hadn't thought of 
And that's what you're after. And you're after a sense of mission. All organizations have a mission. Mm -hmm. However, you know, the CEO represents is the public face of the mission. And missions should count for something. They shouldn't just sit there as a decoration on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And by the way, by the way, I was the head of the mission committee at the church Mm -hmm. when we started first night. And the person from Boston came and talked to us about it. And Martin Copenhaver and I were at that meeting. And, uh, you know, we said, yes, we have three sites at our church. And they'll be available for first night. We're right smack in the middle of Burlington. So there you go. Uh, And that was a great program for many years. There's a sort of a new uh, variation on it that started. And we took part in in that this year, too. What, What I really like about what I've seen of your program is your understanding of the the full spectrum of our community that you have been able to see that many people um, are dealing with poverty in a very it's a very real part of their lives and um, I think bringing the organizations and the representatives and leaders forward to talk about that has really been important. I've also also had a, a lot of people from the public come in. I brought, uh, on, my, on my show once, I had, a, had the head of the, uh, well, the VNA, Judy Peterson. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's UVM Home Health and Hospice, I guess now, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's a mouthful. But uh, Judy Peterson, the director of the agency was there, and she brought in this woman, young woman, who, who was going to talk about hospice, and her father and her mother had both been tr- treated by the VNA. And uh, she was so eloquent. Uh, I mean, Judy just sat there and listened to her, and I more or less did too. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the first time I, I ever interviewed a CEO with a with a with a, someone else, and the CEO di- didn't talk much. <laughs> it was wow. it was really great. It was that's powerful. that's when you know how your mission's working when somebody right. who needs the services can you know really reflect that in their own story and what it's meant to them in their lives. So. Right. Um, there's, there's being a person of faith and being a professional person who brings that faith feeling to their work. Um, and then there's organized religion and your relationship with the church. And uh, I'm still feeling thankful for that Sunday school teacher. <laughs> because, uh, you know, she helped set a standard of showing up and being part of a community. But I wonder if you could just talk about your connection with, with uh the organized church and being part of a faith community and the ways you've been active and you know what it means to you. Right. Um, I was I was always a Methodist or or singing in Methodist and Episcopal church choirs before I uh, came to Burlington. And we joined the the church because uh, we wanted everybody to go to the same place. We were sort of spread out. Our daughter Allison was in a Sunday school at a Methodist church. My husband Richard was at, at uh, First Congo, and I was singing in the, in the choir at College Street Congregational Church. <laughs> so we decided we would all be together. And over the years, I have seen, I have seen a very marvelous transition in the church. Um, women taking great responsibilities, and women working. In the, in the uh, facts and figures, if you will, the money, the money. And, uh, and that, has, that, that has been good. And uh, 
women also their own names on everything. Now this is ancient history, but when I was going to head the mission committee years ago, everybody's name was a, was a you know Mrs. This, Mrs. That, Mrs. That, you know. And I told Reverend Lawrence, I said, you know, if you want me to do this, I'll do it, but it has to be my name because people in the church aren't calling for Richard. He's not running the mission committee. I am. And so if you want me, you have to put my name there. Now that was the first time that was done. And the Reverend Lawrence said, we'll do that. Some people won't like it, but we'll do it. You know? And I thought, I thought that was good. And I have, I have, I, I, I am so very, very happy now that uh, our senior minister, if you will, or our head minister, Alyssa, uh, uh, a woman, I think that's marvelous. We've, we've gone through a trend, you know, and, and um, I was very, I was very honored to be the first woman president of the first congregational church in Burlington. I hasten to say that there were a lot of women who were just as qualified as I was. A lot of women, it was a different era and a different world. But I was glad, I was very proud and happy to be the first woman president. And as the years have gone on, I think that uh, a lot of uh, women, are, women and women and women for presidents. That's wonderful. That's, that's just great. Women and men sharing the leadership of the church, which is as it should be. I've always felt that. And, uh, you know, I've always been very, uh, very happy to uh, been part of that. It's like a wagon train, Lucy. You know, you have, you have a bunch of people going over the country, you know, and it's hard and it isn't easy. And sometimes you stumble and sometimes things happen that you think shouldn't happen. And it's hard sometimes, but you know, you keep going and you keep helping one another, the mm -hmm. old spirit, if you will. And I, I, have, I have always, always liked being in the church and I love singing in the choir. I just, I just love singing in the choir. So, can you just just explore that a little bit um, as somebody who will never have that experience unless I have a muter <laughs> to protect others while I would be singing. Uh, tell me about what it's like to be in a choir. What, why is that important? It's the closest that I have ever come to heaven on earth. I mean, uh, you hear a bunch of voices melding and in beautiful mu music, written by the best composers, the Hallelujah Chorus, things like that. I mean, this is special. This is marvelous music. Some of the best music ever written is music that was written for the church. And you know, I, uh, you, can, you can close your eyes sometime, if you get to know it well enough, you can close your eyes and you can almost feel like you're being lifted up, you know? It's, it's an odd sensation. But it's a beautiful thing to be part of that. And I happen to feel that people do a great disservice when children are young. I think that if people can sing jingle bells, they can sing. And sometimes in younger groups, uh, directors will be too fussy and will say, just move your mouth. And I think that's terrible to <laughs> shut somebody off from music at that early age. For God's sake, I mean, you can, you can at least encourage them to listen to it mm -hmm. and, and, be, and be proud of it and happy 
be in it and appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but that's, that's just my own thought. And, but I have always, I have always, uh, I, I sang solos and things like that when I was younger, but I, I, I love being in a choir. Mm -hmm. I love that sense of community. You know, and you're all working very hard, hard for the same thing. And you're creating beauty, I hope. And even if you aren't, you're, you're, you're a leader of the, of the service. You're there and people look at you and, and uh, well, they know how to sing it, you know, <laughs> sometimes better than we do. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's part of it too. You're helping the, you're helping the, uh, the clergy or whoever, the layperson or whoever it is who's doing the, doing the service. So, you know, you're, you're an integral part of it. And if you well, didn't have it, it would be bad. Oh, I'll tell you the value of it for somebody like me who, um, you know, my great fundraising idea is to get the entire off-key choir together and people would have to reach a certain bid to get us to stop singing. <laughs> At any rate, what I really enjoy is when there is that sense of a full choir and uh, the congregation is singing, then my voice can sort of blend in and I can enjoy it too. And, you know, I love music. I just can't, I can't make it myself. That's, why people, that's why people love Christmas so much because the oldies and the goodies, my friend Bill Stout used to say that, the oldies and the goodies, the old Christmas tunes and the old hymns that you know. This is what people love to sing. Um, I thank you for, for talking about that. You also, Kay, you have really been a, an integral person to the church in bringing in new leaders. Um, and I just, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what it was like to, uh, to search for new leadership for the church when you've been on search committees. Well, Number one, uh, we had, when I ran the search committee for the Reverend Bob Lee, uh, we met at my home. Number one, this was easier for me. I was working and it was easier for me not to, you know, have a dinner and run, in, run into Burlington. And I had a wonderful committee, just a wonderful committee. And it was, it was a real cross section of the church. And we, uh, we were, Every, everybody had an idea of what they wanted in the minister. And I think that's important. We, we talked about that. And everything we did, we did, we did together. Everybody shared the material. We didn't vote on anybody till everybody had seen what this person was about and what they had written in. And if we were interested in this person or not. And I felt that was very important. You ran the gamut from someone who, who was really spiritual, looking for prayers and things like that, for some, to someone who said, I want to take this minister and be able to, to introduce this minister through my friends who play golf or, you know, something like that. And other people, some people laughed and I said, oh, no, that's important. That's just, this is the image of the church out in the community, the minister, the minister. And uh, I was always proud when I saw my minister out in the community doing something. 
George Lawrence who used to, uh, I, I, I used to uh, make speeches <laughs> at what I called the animal clubs, all the men's clubs, you know, the lions and the roars and all that stuff. And uh, I, uh, they did a lot of the community and I realized that. I used to go talk to them about the VNA and what it did. And uh, George Lawrence was, was always at these meetings and uh, Nancy Lawrence would play the piano and Nancy and I were the only women in, in the room. But, you know, I always felt it was useful to do this. I, I was always glad that George was there. And I was always glad to see my, my minister out in the world. Always. That's great. The, uh, the, church, uh, the church, the wider church lost a wonderful um, servant this spring, uh, Reverend John Nutting, who was associate minister of our Vermont conference for many, many years and was really active in growing the spirit of mission throughout the state. Um, uh, he died this spring, and uh, when we were talking yesterday, you talked about John, and I just I want to ask you about your relationship with John Nutting. Right. Uh, I interviewed John Nutting for the, uh, my, on my show. It was the 200th anniversary of the church, and I, and I interviewed him, and we talked about the church uh, history from the beginning right up until that present time. And I found that he was, he, was, he was very interested in history. And he was a very great, uh, he, was a, he, was a, he was a good minister. And he was, he was also, uh, he was so interested in how churches are perceived. How do people think about churches? And in our present day, Churches are thought of in many ways and not always good. As, oh yeah, there are, there are yeah, that's, that's a church. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I'll go on Christmas Eve or, you know, maybe I'll, you know, uh, maybe, maybe the church is good. But, you know, I have always believed, Lucy, you mentioned the United Way. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in the community work for the United Way. And that's marvelous. These agencies all need the money. Uh, but I have always felt I, that when someone who belongs to a church gives money to the church for something, they're giving the money in a different spirit and a different thought than just giving it to the United Way. Mm -hmm. That's not knocking the United Way in any way, in any, in any sense of the word. But, you know, why do you give your money? Now, God likes a cheerful giver. <laughs> Sometimes easier to give money than other times. But I think that you, um, you are giving in something, giving to something you believe in. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's more than just a concept of uh, clothes or food or shelter. It's a concept of what you feel you should do. Mm -hmm. And why do you feel this way? Maybe because somebody, when you were a little girl, made you joyful to be in Sunday school. Maybe you have a long history in the church. Maybe you love music in the church. But what there is a, I think that there is a different resonance when you give that money. And I have, I've always believed that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is in many ways, uh, stewardship is uh, that collective connection that we have together, that we are, our voice and our practical resource come together to do good. And, and to me, that gets back to what you were saying before about the importance 
of the church and the wider community and, and the ways we've been um, really active. Yes, yes. I think that when you, uh, when you, when you, look, at, you look at old pictures of Burlington, you, uh, you see the church steeples and you see the churches. They've been around a long time. Now, they must have been doing something. Mm -hmm. yeah. why, are they, why are they still there? It's not just an edifice, and it's it's not. Uh, it represents people who who are there, and a lot of people who were there beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I think if you belong to a church, I think you have a sense of history and a sense of a place. When I go into the church, I'm 85 in, in October, as I said. And there are, I look at I look at the pews, and I can almost see people who've been there before. I remember them, and I I remember what they did in the church, and what they stood for, and I think that together we have we have all done a wonderful job in that church, and and done a good job for the community. Okay, I, I uh, yesterday when we were discussing this, and I said, well, I said, well, Michael calls that the cloud of witnesses, and you responded right away with that the other expression you've already used once, and that is, no, no, that's the wagon train, <laughs> and I just thought that was such a great image of we're kind of all in there bumping around, you know, working together, getting through it. No offense, Mike, but I just thought I, I really. It made me laugh and uh, think about, you know, the many ways that people have served together. I, so I, I love that picture. I want to make sure we have time for people to ask you questions. Um, so if, if, does anyone want to raise a hand? Oh, we have Donna and Michael. Donna, why don't you go ahead? You want to unmute yourself and ask your question. I have so many K Rider stories. We could go on for another hour. But one of the ones that really tickles me is when um, we were still in Illinois, but Bob had been chosen. And um, I flew into Burlington to come and look at housing and Kay picked me up. And she said, so how do you feel to finally be a Vermonter? And I said, well, I actually feel a little intimidated. She said, really, why? I said, because I don't ski and I don't make things. <laughs> Kay said, stick with me, honey. The only thing I made in this state was my son. <laughs> I said, I really like this woman. <laughs> My brother is so going to hear that story. <laughs> oh, Donna. Yeah, yeah. You don't remember, Kay, right? <laughs> oh, I remember that. I remember that. You were, you, you, you were a wee bit nervous. <laughs> so many stories, yeah. When, when he, we were interviewing and um, you called me into the room to actually be interviewed also, and you asked me what, what did I think my role was as to be the minister's wife, and I said, wow, I said, that's really a big question. I said, because I was single for 10 years and I'm barely able to say the word husband. <laughs> and so I said, I said, I don't know that I have a role as a minister's wife. I think my only job here is to support Bob so that he can do his work as the minister. And then I said, how, how, how did I do? And you said, that was the right answer. <laughs> so I was so relieved. And then she sent me back into the other room to watch Thelma and Louise. And I went, oh my God, who is this woman? 
<laughs> good stories, Kay. Good stories. Good ones. Good ones. I told you she was surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's got a question for you, Kay. Quick things, Kay. First of all, as a member of your search committee for Bob, you were so hospitable as committee chair, welcoming, you, welcoming us to your home. And as a leader of that committee, you were a, the perfect blend of task and relationship orientation for the committee. It was wonderful. It was a pleasure to serve on that committee. I felt a connection with you before you used the term endure when you were describing your cancer surgery. And I recall I had cancer surgery two summers ago. My prayer just before going under was that I would endure. And when you said that, I recall there, you know, there's two meanings for that word. One is to live through challenging times and one is to be long lasting. And I just felt a real heart to heart connection when you use that term uh, to talk about your cancer surgery. Yes, we, we endure and we go on. Amen. That's right, Michael. Does anybody else have a question for Kay? David, Nyreen. Yes, um, Kay, uh, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, and it's great to see Allison here as well. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, um, I, when I first came to town, I was at, I, I didn't have any connection to the Unitarian, or to the First Congregational Church. I was at the Unitarian Church. Um, I was at the Mozart Festival. I was at the university, all kinds of places. But there was one person that I, and everybody else in town knew. Well, there were probably two, but you were one of them <laughs> because you were present in every single civic organization, um, arts organizations, religious organizations, up at the hospital, uh, visiting nurses, the list goes on and on and on, and your, and your own TV show. So, I mean, one of the questions, which I'm not even gonna ask is really, how do you even find the energy to do it? because I'm assuming that that's just something you came stoked with when you came into the world and there's no, like, you can't eat Wheaties and do that. <laughs> but the second thing I think is a real question, which is certainly there must be a time where you've chosen to be involved or not to be involved in a, in a certain thing along the way. What have been your guiding principles? Um, I do understand just kind of like free ranging about Okay, assuming that you know you want to be involved, how did you decide how to hook up on what and, and, and what are some thoughts? Well, David, I have, I have always had a lot of energy. And I, I have always been able to, um, if you will, silo projects. Like I could work on something for a certain length of time, and then I would go on to work on something else. And I, I have been able to do that. And um, I can write, you know, I can write things quite quickly, actually. And I can, I can read quickly and that has helped me. And I always had what my father called the gift of gab. I could, I could always write a speech uh, or write a question, series of questions and interview, interviewing 
most important thing about interviewing is just listening. That, that's, that's all it is. But you know, oh, there were certain things always that I wouldn't, I wouldn't involve myself with. We first moved here, I, I hasten to tell you, it was a very different world. It was very, very different in the, in the, uh, <laughs> in the late 60s. And uh, you know, there were organizations where women wore white gloves and poured tea. And the big joke in our family, and, and my husband still laughs about this, is Mrs. Ryder did not pour. <laughs> and <laughs> I would not pour coffee in the church. I would not pour coffee any place else in the community. And there was a, there was a, a book group that I, we were, I, my husband was a resident. And I had a bunch of friends who, you know, their, their husbands were also residents at the hospital. And uh, we were invited to, to join something once, our group. And we decided that that was not the group we wanted to join. We would form our own group, a very informal group. And we would drink beer, really read books and talk about the books. And that's what we did. I mean, that's, and it's a given, like I said, the show, some non, you know, it's nonprofit all the way. Some for profits have called and have asked to be on the show. Now I have to put a caveat in here because I have interviewed women in journalism. I have done that. And the papers were for profit, but, and the TV was for profit, but I have interviewed women journalists. And, but, but if a for-profit organization calls me up and wants to be interviewed, I won't name anybody. But, you know, I won't do it. I just won't do it because I feel that the show I, the show I have, uh, well, I guess I would just say set up and created, it was it it for a purpose. I mean, I had in mind nonprofits and people from the community and, and, and regular people and, and uh, you know, people like David playing the bells. Uh, that, was, that was what I wanted to do. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring in people, other, other people who understood the concept of volunteering and, and not, not for profit. Great, good answer, Kay. Lots of lots of good information there. All right. And does anybody else have a question to ask? I'm sure my daughter must have one. Okay, so, Allison, it's um, your chance. Kay, I have oh, so Patty with a question. Yeah, this isn't really a a question, but like David said, it's making these connections, and that's why I have enjoyed Spirit Seekers so much. Not just for what it's all about, um, seeking the people with um, a spirit of faith, but making these connections. And I will tell you that Judy Peterson lives across the street from me. <laughs> and I can't wait to tell her, you know, what a, lo what a lovely conversation and getting to know you better, because she is, is a lovely lady too. And, and uh, she's retiring pretty soon, but I know she's done a great deal um, with, well, now UVM Home Health and Hospice. So. I will uh, make sure to tell her that I yep. just talked with Kay Ryder. <laughs> yeah. Well, Judy is Judy knows every every smidgen of home health that was there ever there. I got to know her when she was the uh, the head head of another agency in the middle of, of the state of Vermont, 
and I uh, knew that she was just the person that had to head up the VNA in Burlington, and she has been. She's been a marvelous leader and a pers person to take us into the future, and I really like her too. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Great, Patty. Now, Allison, it looked like you might have something to ask your mother. Um, boy, you're really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I decided I was just going to be a little church mouse and behave myself. All right, then. Um, so I want to make sure everybody knows that Kay's television program is uh, called Conversations with Kay. And if you Google it, you can find all kinds of videos to watch and see Kay um, in action with that. I also want to let everybody know that um, Don Jackson, who is on with us, will be our spirit seeker next Friday, July 17th. And uh, so we're, I'm really looking forward to that conversation with you, Don. And the following Friday, uh, Libby Ivy will be our special guest. And uh, so that, that would be wonderful too. So thank you um, for that. I just have one last question. Sure, Don, go I, right ahead. I have a quick question. And I don't see Kay here anymore. So I can ask Allison <laughs> and her, her comment about making her son in Vermont. So Allison, I'm hoping that you were not born in Vermont or she would not have said that. I was not. I was born in New York City. I called okay. the Presbyterian Hospital when my dad was a medical resident. So you can let her get away with saying that's the only thing she made in Vermont. Exactly. And <laughs> it's your brother. Okay. New York. So yep. I just wanted to clarify. Always wanted to be a Vermonter. I can't quite claim it. But you can be a Vermonter, just not a woodchuck. Exactly true. <laughs> well, like, like many of us. So I'm going to close with a, a prayer that Judy Gray brought to a meeting I was at yesterday. And I just, um, I think Judy is still, is still uh, listening in. And I just wanted to thank her for that. It's a classic prayer. And I hope that it will serve you all over the week ahead. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. St. Francis of Assisi, I don't think was writing uh, with Kay Ryder in mind. <laughs> don't think that he knew her. Uh, but I think, hey, so many of those um, being an instrument of peace are represented in the stories that Kay told. She talked about forgiveness, about love, about commitment. Uh, I just, just think she's a tremendous person and thank her for the time today. Thank all of you and we'll see you next Friday at three for Spirit Seekers.